open your Bibles, if you will, uh, to this chapter that I'm beginning to really fall in love with, Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> and I'm going to need your, your help trying to put a title to this every, every Monday or Tuesday, since I always forget. Nate says, what was the title? I said, I got a title out of my... <laughs> but this one has something to do with seat backs, tray tables, locked upright. What, what's that expression? You've all flown. Put your upright position in the upright position. Upright and locked position. Something. Upright and locked position. We're fixing to take off. Is the point. <laughs> so, uh, Luke uh, chapter chapter twelve. We're going to try to get through verses forty nine to fifty nine. I don't know if we'll be that. Uh, successful or not, but uh, but we'll see what's been going on in this chapter, and really all of the chapters leading uh, leading up to this. It's, it's frankly the, the story of all four of the Gospels. Jesus is getting his disciples up to speed, and when he's getting disciples up to speed, that means he's getting you and me up to speed, and uh, we are uh, learning more. At, uh, it's, it's always very helpful to think about the disciples and the fact that they weren't, they, they didn't sign up for this. Uh, they, they were at the right place at the right time. There would be times in their lives, I'm sure they wondered about that, but, uh, but uh, they don't really have a clue what has happened to them. These are mostly fishermen and people of that ilk. Uh, with some exceptions, and um, and they're they're following this man Jesus, and they've seen him do a lot of incredible things, and he is he's moving toward Jerusalem and to a cross, and he's doesn't have that much time with with these folks to get them trained and ready, so he is has been doing that, and as we've seen in uh, the end of chapter eleven. Uh, he's had that little dinner party, that, that quick little in and out with the Pharisees where he's told them, uh, well, he, he frankly threw the kitchen sink at them, seven woes, and the, the bottom line and the summation all of it was uh, hypocrisy, and he, and he tells the disciples, and again, therefore to you and me, don't fall into hypocrisy, and what he means by that as we have seen, is, is not trying to be something that you're not. It's trying to be uh, completely pleased with who you are when you are not what you should be. That is the hypocrisy. And frankly, it's true of every one of us uh, to one degree or another. Uh, <coughs> he's, Jesus, in, in these couple of verses, verse 49 to 59, uh, this is sort of take the disciples behind the tool shed moment. Um, because they've got some blind spots and he wants them to understand this. And again, he's talking to all of us here. I want to begin, however, with two verses, very, very well-known verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, 11 and 12. Um, uh, I'll just do 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
I'll just stop there. I just do, that's just verse 12. Now, normally we read this verse and we think he's talking about the Bible. It's talking about the word of God. Uh, I was, John Owen spends a lot of time on this passage in this particular verse, proving that he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is often called the word, the word of God and other things that has the word, word in it. So think about this verse again now and think about Jesus and not just the Bible. It's true about the Bible because the Bible is unfolding Jesus, but it's much more personal when you're thinking for the word of God, for Jesus is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's where Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 59 is going to take us. Um, this self-revelation of Jesus is getting clearer. And as it gets clearer, the good news gets better and the bad news becomes very, very poignant and in your face. Uh, so, and many people don't want to hear it. Somewhere along the line, I came across this definition of a pulpit search committee. If you've ever had the misfortune of serving on a pulpit search committee, uh, you know, well, I won't continue that. Uh, here, here's a good definition though. A group of people in search of a man who will be totally fearless and uncompromising as he tells them exactly what they want to hear. <laughs> it's the end of it uh, where Jesus, Paul, Peter, none of these people would ever be chosen by a search committee because they're not going to do that. They're going to bring it on and bring it on forcefully. And that is what uh, we are running into here. Let's look at the pre-flight uh, checklist. Verses 49 to 53. Luke chapter 12, 49 to 53, uh, say this, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. This is Jesus speaking. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Um, we'll begin looking primarily just uh, verses 49 and, and 50, but this baptism of fire, uh, is something that um, that we need to understand when when Jesus. If you look at any of the so-called televangelists and, and you tune in to most of the people, not all of them, but most of the folks who are on television, uh, purportedly bringing the word of God to the folks. So often, especially with the so-called health and wealth gospel, uh, it's it's just good good news. Send me twenty five bucks and I'll cure you of anything. I'll raise your bank accounts. Everything will be just wonderful. Uh, Jesus says something very, very different here. I came to cast fire on the earth. And a Christian needs to know that and be steeled against what is about to happen to you. Because becoming a Christian does not mean that everything is going to be fine. 
eternally, it certainly is the case, but temporally, not so much the case. Uh, so um, this is this is sort of kicking the tire before you take off. My brother um, is a pilot, and he used to uh, fly me around every time I would. I get in his vicinity. He lives in Jacksonville, and we we uh, he'd always take me up, and it always I was impatient with him because we'd get. I mean, this wasn't a seven forty seven for Pete's sake. This was a little Cessna, and he'd spend it seemed like hours and hours walking around this little bitty thing, and he'd kick the tires and he'd take the oil, and, he'd, uh, and I used to uh, really say, you know, do we have to? He said, you do this before you take off. <laughs> you don't want to take off. <laughs> and then wish you had checked this. I said, that's probably true. Well, the same, that's sort of what Jesus is getting into here. Christianity uh, is something where we should expect uh, fire in our lives. Now, verses 49 and 50, uh, when you read this, you, you, you know, where is the gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Uh, well, frankly, there has been no such God anywhere in scripture from the beginning pages of Genesis. Uh, fire, of course, biblically normally refers to judgment. Uh, Luke chapter three, verse 16, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Norman Geldenheis, a very good commentator, of a lot of, of New Testament says this, fire is the spiritual power exercised by the Lord through his word and his spirit to the undoing of those who reject him and to the refining of those who believe in him. Now, what, what I want you to see there, the two verbs, uh, they're both a little bit unsettling. Uh, one of them, if you're not a believer, is going to be your undoing when this fire comes into your life and when you are a believer, it's going to be because of refining going on. So uh, take your pick. Um, it's an interesting concept that, that we need to have uh, down pat. Now the baptism uh, referencing, uh, Jesus of course knows very clearly what his baptism is going to be. He's headed there. It's a cross in which he is going to be not only beaten and, and, uh, and defamed and, and every other kind of, of issue, but killed, nailed to a piece of wood. So when you put all these things together, I think uh, you come up with at least these points. Jesus longs to cast his fire on the inhabitants of the earth. This is not something he's reluctant to do. It is not something uh, that uh, he feels the father has, has uh, he wishes the father had not given him this assignment. Uh, Jesus is going to be very, very good at this. He is, he is capable of separating joints and marrow and all the other aspects of, of our bodies and our souls. Uh, secondly, he longs to refine his children. He's not going to hold back. Um, sometimes it can be so difficult. I, our first son, I, he, he's got these brown, I probably have said this before. Uh, he's got these brown eyes and, and big, big, they're always wet. They're always, I, I would be at a point where I know I need to discipline this man, uh, this man. <laughs> <clears throat> and then he would look up at me and he would 
Anyway, I, I could be reluctant on this. I could, that was a tough assignment. It is not that way with Jesus. He, is, he wants to refine it. He wants to do this because we are ultimately in no danger from it. We will only be improved by it. Uh, here's another aspect. Jesus is distressed personally as he waits for his baptism of fire. He knows, as I say, what's coming for him. And it was not uh, something that, that he, he could ignore. He knew what it was going to be. And, and this distress, this, this cup of wrath that he's going to have to consume uh, is not something that, that he's going to find easily handled. Uh, here's another one. Jesus longs to complete the task he was given by the Father. This concept of a cross and his mission has already cost Jesus a lot. Uh, Jesus is, this is not an easy thing to be incarnate, to leave the communion, the perfect communion that he has known from eternity with Father and Holy Spirit and to come and, um, and live among uh, folks uh, such as, as we uh, the cross uh, is costing, but he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't back off. He doesn't try to change or hide from anything. Now, this is a typical human uh, response to this kind of fire. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden from the very beginning. Uh, things go wrong because of, of their own uh, committing of sin. So what do they do? They start hiding from God. Uh, if they could have, they would have run from God, I'm sure. <coughs> Uh, what does Peter do at the cross? He, he hides. He, he's, he not only does he ignore and, and uh, speak falsely about Jesus and deny that he even knew him, uh, but he's, he's slinking and, and sliding in the background. The rest of the disciples are not even there at all, apparently. Uh, so, uh, you know, whether you're Jonah and you, you get in the boat, you, you try to head to the other direction, whatever it is, we tend to hide. Jesus is not doing this. It is uh, what Phil Reich, and I love this expression, a holy impatience is uh, what characterizes Jesus as he's walking through these three years of teaching with his disciples. Uh, he, he, is, he is impatient to get it all done, but uh, at the same time, he's got these 12 men and he's got to get them up to speed. Uh, but the result of all of this, the fire, whether for Jesus or coming to us, is, is our salvation. So you've got this, this discordant um, imbalance that we're trying to make fit into our lives. Uh, we're going to receive the fire, but the fire is good, but the fire won't be pleasant, but, but the long perspective is therefore called for. Uh, and the beauty with our Savior, with Jesus, is that nothing is going to stop him. The temptations of Satan have already been felt. They will be increased of Jesus. He does not fall for any of it. The dullness of his disciples, I'm sure uh, at times uh, made him a little bit uh, stressed, but uh, he does not uh, deviate from the pathway. The opposition from the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and others, uh, the Roman occupying soldiers, the foreknowledge he has of Gethsemane, of, of the cross itself, none of these things are going to deter him. Now, when you get to verses 51, 2, and 3, uh, continuation of the same theme, not peace but division. Do you think that I've come to get peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. But you've got this... Uh, 
Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6, the Prince of Peace. Uh, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, you've got that angelic host, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The key comes early in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when he gives peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's, that's the division. Uh, woe to the person with whom he is not pleased, whether it be a Christian and we receive this fire of refining or whether it be an unbeliever who will receive the fire of undoing. Uh, the bottom line is peace is never free. It is never cheap. It is never easy. We just uh, had a Veterans Day uh, that, uh, that should help us all remember those things, the, the many graveyards and cemeteries around the world where, uh, where servicemen and women have given their uh, lives in order to keep peace. It makes it all the more poignant and, and disappointing when we see our own country uh, so gutless, uh, so uh, fearful, so uh, discombobulated. Trying to be nice. Uh, but at any rate, um, the cost in this case is going to be the very life of the Son of God himself. So when we, when we enter periods where we, we think we are enjoying peace, understand what it costs for us to get that, for us to get uh, this, uh, this peace we have from, from God. Uh, Jesus is going to bring peace, but it will not uh, be totally inaugurated until his second coming. The peace that he's going to bring on this earth, uh, certainly there's, there's going to be an inner peace. If you're a Christian, there, there is a, hopefully, as your faith grows stronger uh, and you understand more fully what is said in the word, you understand that ultimately I cannot be taken from his grip or fall from it, or even violate his principles and purposes through my utter sinfulness. Uh, my total depravity will not take me away from that ultimate peace. That is a very good uh, thing to recall. Um, we will have peace with the Father through the Son. The Father is, uh, is, uh, is, we're talking about God, so you're talking about total perfect justice. And when I look in my own heart, I think, I am total toast. I cannot, as a sinner, come before this perfect God. But once I have Jesus, I can. Uh, I'm back in Romans 7 then. I, I'm, I'm struggling with Paul. The things that I wish I had never done are exactly the things I did. And those things I knew I should have, I didn't. What is going to save this wretch of sinful human flesh? And the answer Paul gives is Jesus Christ. So. Um, now there's not, unfortunately, going to be peace with other people all the time. Why is that? One three-letter word, sin. Uh, the sin that upsets uh, my own heart and soul and the sin that, that is going to come in from others uh, outside. So if we don't have this comprehensive peace, then what is it exactly that Jesus is going to bring? Well, he says it very clearly. I'm here to bring division. Uh, from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three, and he, he breaks down the components of the family. 
Uh, it is, this is so utterly true. If you look around the world today, Jesus has divided Judaism. Uh, everything that we're seeing in the Middle East uh, today is, is a continuation of what has been in the Middle East for 2,000 years as Jesus came. And, um, and even before Jesus came, frankly, uh, the concept of Messiah was dividing Judaism. Uh, Islam is, is attacking. Uh, the Chinese imprison those who speak about Jesus and others around the world, not just the Chinese. The prayers before a football game. I've, once uh, someone knows you have, have been associated with churches, as you probably all know, every now and then somebody will say, if there's an event, some, some event at a school maybe or whatever, uh, they'll come up to you and say, would you pray for us? I'm, would I, I'm gonna ask you to pray in a little bit to start our meeting. And after, after unfortunate experience, I got to the point and said, I'll be glad to do that, but understand I'm a Christian pastor and I will pray in the name of Jesus and I will pray to Jesus. And if you don't like that, then don't choose me to do your prayer. <laughs> and uh, that's, I, I love those battles, frankly. <laughs> uh, they'll say, well, you, you know, can't you just say amen at the end? No, I can't say amen at the end. Uh, college campuses, uh, heaven help us all. Uh, college campuses, everything is, is now not just relative, uh, it's, it's pro-everything that is sinful and against anything that would, that would even hint of Jesus, all accommodationism. Now we have this, this phrase, it took me a long time to figure out what this is all about, DEI is the big, uh, the big litmus test now, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, it would be difficult to, to uh, choose a less biblical moniker that all of the major corporations in America, that's to how they hire and fire and, and do everything else uh, of, of utter stupidity that they are so, so good at these days. Um, they've got to have diversity. They've got to have equity. We touched on that a couple of weeks back, and, and I will, uh, before too long, we'll, we'll delve into that a little more deeply. What, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible teach equity? No, it does not. It teaches one thing. It teaches everyone should receive what is their due. What does that mean? That means what you have achieved, what you have done with the gifts God has given you. It doesn't mean that you're all, every human is graded on some standard that, that uh, they may not have the gifts to, to achieve. It means, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? That will determine what you will receive. Uh, there is nothing whatsoever about equity in Scripture. Um, why? What, what's behind all of this turmoil that we're reading here? Well, John chapter 14, verse 6, very famous verse. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Total exclusivity. That's what people in the world do not like to hear and have trouble tolerating. Uh, proud, self-centered world absolutely hates it, hates those who believe it, hates those who speak it, and hates the Savior who died for it. Um, that, that's why it's difficult, uh, and, and we sense it. We all, we all sense that when we're in uh, a group of, of people that may not be uh, second press people or believers uh, that we have reason to believe are believers. We realize that it's going to be a sensitive issue 
And all I can say is uh, may the Lord help us all not to shy away from it, uh, but to speak Jesus, to speak Jesus lovingly. Uh, but it is this, uh, this alienation at every level that sin has caused. Uh, had I not sinned this morning, I was going to have my markers and do some writing. Uh, but I, So I'm going to have to ask you, my markers are locked in a room upstairs. I don't have the key. Uh, so I'm going to have to just imagine four concentric circles. Not, not a tough assignment, I hope. Uh, I want to take you back to the garden and show you what sin does. Uh, here are two people, the only two people who have ever existed in the universe. And Satan comes in and tempts Eve. Uh, you know how that goes. Then what happens immediately? Everything that we have just read about this division is what happens because sin brings alienation. What's the core of it? What's, what's the center circle? It alienates me from God. Adam and Eve are walking with God hand in hand, conversing uh, as, as you and I might. Uh, and all of a sudden sin creates this, this chasm and they can't get, in fact, so far they're hiding from God. They no longer want to even be with him because they know this fundamental change has occurred and they now must be alienated from him and, and seek to escape. The one being that can help is the one they do not want to be with. So this, there's an alienation from God. What's the second circle in this thing? It's alienation from myself. Uh, I don't know who I am anymore with it because I am a sinful person. Now understand that sin is not so much what you do or don't do, it's what you are. What you are as a sinner and a sinful being will cause you to do or not do all of these things that we label as sins of the sinner. Uh, but what I am as a sinner means I don't know myself anymore. I wasn't created. I was created in the image of God, but I've marred that image. I've alienated, I've twisted and torqued that image until I don't know myself. We're back to Romans 7. <clears throat> this isn't so much what we might call mental illness or something of that nature. Uh, this, is, this is something much, much more fundamental than that. Uh, this is Paul who, who again says, uh, I, I know what I should be doing and I can't. I know what I shouldn't do and I do. Uh, I've become a wretch, he says in Romans 7. Now that's the second alienation. What's the third circle? The larger out to the third circle now is I'm now alienated from all other human beings. Uh, that alienation, you see it with Adam and Eve. Adam, when they finally, God tracks them down and Adam said, well, you know, I asked for a help me and this is what you give me? An apple, really? He goes to Eve and she said, well, if you hadn't given me that guy, I mean, come on, he's the one who did it. So you see this, this uh, alienation between people and all humans now have it because of our sinfulness. And in the, in the top echelon of that is war. What is the apogee of human sinfulness? War, where we would go and kill people, where we would chop the heads off of babies. All of this is alienation due to the sinfulness of mankind. What's the final and the fourth circle? I'm alienated from the universe I live in. God comes to Adam and says, okay, you're going to have to work for it from here on out. 
And by the way, when you're plowing up that field, there are going to be rocks there. And there are going to be weeds that grow after you have plowed it. And they're going to be this, and they're going to be that, and they're going to be hurricanes, they're going to be tornadoes, and the whole universe is going to be exploding with tsunamis and all of these things. The universe is alienated from me, and I am I'm struggling. Uh, it's an incredible uh, depth to which Jesus is addressing, and that's why Jesus is required to come in and bring a sword and come in and bring division and come in to deal with this and why it will ultimately mean that the son of God himself is going to have to die to solve the problem. Uh, that's why Paul calls it the offense of the cross. Uh, why is the cross so offensive? Well, not only because as a Christian, I am responsible for sending Jesus to that cross, but also uh, because in order to embrace the message behind the cross and the message of forgiveness, I've got to humble myself and humans are not good at humility. Uh, so again, to name Jesus uh, is always going to create this division and tension and conflict. Now here comes the heavy weather. That was just taking off. Uh, verses 54, 5, and 6, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He's coming to them. Uh, he says, you're good at looking at the weather, you know, uh, Red in the morning, sailors take warning. Red at night, sailors delight. We can all, we're all uh, pretty good at that sort of stuff. And he's coming to the Israelites and he's telling them, you can interpret all of these things around you, yet you're clueless about the Messiah whom you have looked for for thousands of years and I'm standing in front of your face and you cannot and will not see me. Um, what, I mean, they had some good clues. Uh, the, the authority that Jesus shows is power. The, the, Jesus himself, his life, the testimony of history for millennia. The mounting rejection, all of these things are signs. And unfortunately, uh, they're, they're going to pay for this. We've mentioned in here before, Matthew 27, 25. It's a verse that is chilling uh, in its uh, potential. I don't know how to plumb the depths of Matthew 27, 25. Uh, what I would tend to think, I hope I'm wrong about. But here is Pilate trying to wash his hands, literally, of sending Jesus to a cross. He's in front of the people. He physically washes his hands and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And their response to him is this. And all the people answered Pilate saying, his blood, Jesus's blood be on us and on our children. Uh, is that resonating through what we're looking at? Uh, I, I, I don't know. But you've got a certainly uh, poignant uh, history of utter travail among uh, Jews and Judaism for 2,000 years since that cross. Uh, I want to just give you a couple of other passages. I won't turn to them now, but Romans 11, the end of Romans 11 fascinating passage where, where Paul says, okay, here's what's happened, Gentiles. Don't get on your high horse. You are grafted in. You, you goyim, you dogs, you, you wild olive branches, you people have been grafted in. And that occurred by me, God, hardening the hearts of Jews so that you could come in. But when your whole total has come in, 
then all Israel will be saved. What does that phrase mean? I don't know. It's fun to try to try to plumb the depths of that, but um, we'll go into that later. But I want you to connect that if you're taking notes. Connect that, read Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 24, and make sure you connect Romans 11, 25, 26, 27 with those passages from Luke, and you'll see a resonance there. Uh, what's, what's the world culture, culture look like today relative to Jesus? Well, nothing, nothing has changes, changed. We reject Jesus. Uh, we call good evil and evil good. We worship money. We glorify perversion. We idolize villainous people. We marginalize the poor. We kill the unwanted nuisance babies. Can you imagine that the state of Ohio would want to constitutionalize abortion? Can you imagine a person going who is eight and a half months pregnant for an abortion? I hope that never happens. I can't imagine, frankly, a doctor who would be willing to do it. I would fire the guy, I would defrock him immediately and uh, try to plow his hospital under, but uh, that's just me. Uh, we worship only the self. We've got technology, which is clearly, clearly taking us into horrific black holes, and we can't wait to buy the latest gadget. Uh, so the issue is, where are you today? Where am I today in the midst of, of all of this? If, if Noah were here today building an ark, would we go toward it or laugh at it like everybody did when he was building it? Maybe more to the point, what is our ark? Verses 57, 8 and 9. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you pay the very last penny. Those are poignant words that conclude this, this little section. And what should we do about it? Well, know number one, that we are guilty of sin. We are sinners going to hell unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. So the bottom line, the simple line in one sense is, is simply come back to Jesus. I'll conclude again with this um, very poignant <coughs> verse. <clears throat> I have a whole bunch of them here, but I'll only do get us where we were to begin with. Well, the word of God for Jesus is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The very, very wonderful news of the gospel is that as we sit here and live today, he is available. He is available now this instant. And if you have ever had a moment's hesitation, come to him now. Come to him before the sun sets today. Tell your family members who you think may not have made that kind of, of insightful choice and come and open their hearts and plead for his faith to make them whole. 
to save them and to bring them uh, to, to a God who will ultimately fill us with nothing but joy because of that cross. Believe in him and be saved. Let's pray. Father, um, these, these disciples' heads must have been spinning. Our heads should be spinning because we live in the same kind of universe they did. It has never changed. The very, the very universe itself is, is tainted with our sinfulness. But Father, there is a remedy and the remedy is in your son and you have graciously given that son to anyone who will believe. It doesn't take seminary educations. It doesn't take scholarship. It doesn't take high IQs. It simply takes a humbled human to say, I am a sinner like the tax collector who wouldn't even look up. Father, forgive me my sin and bring me the saving blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and cover me from head to toe with it so that forever I will know that I am yours through all the division, through all the fire, through all the upheaval, through bad health, through death itself, I remain yours and will one day be with you forever and ever. We thank you for your grace and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.